What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you very much, Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. And not only are stocks higher today, but the Dow is higher despite a huge drop in shares of Boeing after what some are calling a travesty of an earnings report. The S&P, though, is still down 6% in a week. Are U.S. stocks no longer the best game in town? We'll talk about multiple reversions shortly. One of the biggest worry spots right now are China's COVID lockdowns. That could mean the chip shortage is about to get worse before it gets better. And we'll tell you which companies are most exposed this time around. Plus, earnings have been all the difference in this market. Just look at how Microsoft and Visa are saving the day. We will preview the next round of results in earnings exchange. But first, Dom Chu with the numbers and almost a mirror image of this time yesterday. Uh, yeah, it's crazy to think about just how kind of things have changed around. But we do have some more ground to make up if we are to get back all of the losses that we saw in yesterday's big sell-off session. Still, though, the Dow Industrials at 379 points is tilting towards the highs of the session right now. We are seeing that nice move higher up about a percent. 42.24, the last trade for the S&P 500, up nearly 50 points north of 1% gains there. And similar percentage moves for the Nasdaq Composite, 12,610. We'll see if we can hold above that 12,600 mark as we go into the afternoon trade. But still, generally positive. We need a little bit more to get back what we lost yesterday. If you take a look at the state of play when it comes to sectors so far this year to date, no surprise that the three worst performing sectors are those that are tilted towards some of those large and mega cap growth oriented technology or discretionary stocks. Think the consumer discretionary sector, think technology, think communication services, the three worst performing sectors in the S&P because they encompass names like Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Tesla, and others. So again, that state of play for that particular set of sectors, very important to the overall market narrative. They make up the bulk of the S&P 500. And then you mentioned, Kelly, that juxtaposition and what we're seeing in the Dow today. Visa shares up 16 points, 8% gains, strong, strong performance on the top and bottom line for Visa. The outlook looks good. They think that a resurgence in travel demand will help people spend more money, especially swiping credit cards. Meanwhile, Boeing, the biggest detractor to the Dow right now, down about 12.7.5%. Disappointing results on both the top and bottom lines and production delays for some of their key new models coming out, especially that 777X model. So watch those particular moves there. Visa and Microsoft, the big contributors. Boeing, Kelly, the biggest attractor. I'll send things back over to you. Down 7.5%, and like you said, that's off the lows. Now, my next guest says Visa showed us the money, and if you want to be invested in this Jerry Maguire market, you need to look long and hard for other stocks just like it. Here with his picks is Chris Grisanti. He's the chief equity strategist at MAI Capital Management. Chris, it's good to see you, and, you know... Visa, in some ways, is a barometer here. I mean, I think there's more than just Visa investors who are breathing a sigh of relief. Um, But you think that this shows how important stock selection is. Oh, absolutely. Kelly, it's nice to be with you again. So so Visa, it's a very interesting report. And and 
we own Visa, and I was pleasantly surprised by the report because there is so much uh, headwinds in terms of international travel and, and war in Ukraine, and, and they were able to post a great number. It's somewhat ironic that Boeing, which obviously relies on international travel as well, is really suffering right now. But, but we do think that's somewhat short-term, and that may prove to be a long-term opportunity. So I don't want to ask you this early on in this segment, but I, I just can't resist. We got to talk about Boeing, right? I mean, if stock selection is more important than ever, then getting it wrong also maybe hurts more than ever, right? I mean, sure. I, remind me, I know we've talked about it in the past. Were, were you, are you still a shareholder? We are still a shareholder. In fact, I actually like the setup now for the rest of the year. Um, it, it's, it's the tale of two cities for our portfolio today. We own Visa, Microsoft, and Boeing. So, uh, but on the Boeing side, um, they really have written off just about everything. And there's about three good things that are going to happen between now and year end. We've got a, uh, an analyst meeting in September. We should have the 787 certification and China should finally recertify the 737 MAX. So those three things could easily lead to much better prices from here. So I, I honestly think today is a 7% off sale and, and should be taken advantage of. Just one follow-up comment on, on all of this. This isn't just a Boeing segment, but it's pretty damning if you're in a duopoly and you're still doing this poorly. I mean, people don't have a lot of other choices. Boeing and Airbus sure. are basically the only two games in town. Well, well I, I would push back a little and, and say that's true. But if the government doesn't let you sell the planes for, for valid reasons for the 787, for example, you're not going to be able to make up the ground. Hmm. And if you look long term, you're absolutely right. It's a duopoly. It's a product that will clearly be growing over the next 10 and 20 years. It's a terrific place to be long term. All right. Sticking with it. So let's turn talk about a couple of other names. You mentioned Visa you like. Uh, you still think Boeing could be a, a buy here. What are some of the other names and are there any major changes in the kind of stocks that you're looking for right now? Well, in this kind of market, Kelly, I think the most important thing to do is one, think long term. So if the market drops five or 10 percent over the next month, you don't want to get scared out of new investments. The second thing is Buy those companies that have already reported. You didn't want to buy Boeing yesterday, hmm. but today you know a lot more information and you're getting, you know, you're getting it cheaper. So two stocks I really like that fit those circumstances are, are Google and, and, uh, and more bizarrely, the home builder NVR, which hmm. is a real contrarian. I think that's a name that Bill Smead is a big fan of as well. Why NVR in particular here? Well, all the home builder stocks are down at least 25% uh, with higher mortgage rates, of course. So obviously, the, the big question is, are higher rates going to kill the housing market? We don't think so. All our channel checks with the home builders say demand remains strong. Their problem is getting enough supply and getting through supply constraints. But we're confident they'll do that. And by the way, NVR is kind of the chicken way to play the home builders. They actually made money in 2008, 2009. They're buying back tons of stock. The company's a third smaller than it was seven years ago because of all their buybacks. And, and, and so that's a management team we can trust. And at nine times earnings, that's a 10-year low on PE multiple. So, you know, we just really like it and nobody else does. So that's always a good sign. Quick final question. We're going to talk to my next guest about this. But if I told you the market multiple was going from 18 to 16, um, or just in general, as we kind of wait out the Fed tightening cycle, is there any reason why I couldn't wait and buy all of these names that you mentioned a year from now? Yeah, I don't think that's a great idea because I think the market troughs when when long rates peak. 
And I think we're rather pretty close to that. I mean, I mean, I don't think we're at the bottom, but I think we can see it from here. So, you know, I, I would just pick stocks like NVR or Google that you think are fair valuations and don't try to game it too much. I, I would be fortune favors the bold. Yeah, it certainly does. Chris, thank you so much. Great to see you as always. Chris Grisanti. You too, Kel. We have a news alert in that bond market he was just talking about. The five-year notes went up for auction. Top of the hour, Rick Santelli with the results. Rick? Boy, what a different tune than yesterday's terrific two-year note auction. $49 billion, five-year notes just left the Treasury. The yield, 2.785, which is the biggest issue because the when-issued market was trading around 2.775, so it tailed the whole basis point. Never good. All the other metrics were actually rather average. So D plus, dog plus the grade I gave it. And I think it's very important to monitor all auctions because just because yesterday's two-year note auction went well, it doesn't mean that investors have turned the corner on being bullish looking for rates to go back down. And ultimately, to see equities in the green a bit and see yields more buoyant really speaks volumes tomorrow. We'll complete everything with the seven-year note auction. But at this point, I would continue to say that we have very iffy results for many of these auctions moving forward. Kelly, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you. We'll leave it there for now. Rick Santelli. Now, my next guest has been warning for months that the Fed is behind the curve. It sounds like public is starting to agree. You see the cover of The Economist. Uh, anyway, he says they are still running policy too loose, and that means the market multiple is still too high for the tightening that could be coming. Let's welcome in Michael Darda. He's the chief economist and chief market strategist at MKM Partners. Michael, it's great to see you again. So just this idea that the Fed is still behind the curve at a time when there are many other economists calling for recession. Um, can you explain why you're sticking to your guns here? Absolutely. So I think it's premature to be calling for a recession here. Typically, that happens after a period of Fed tightening that ends up going too far and results in inverted yield curves. And so the Fed is just barely off the zero lower bound and not in a slow business cycle, but in a business cycle that's been booming with inflation at a four decade high. What's tripped the market up here a bit year to date is that there simply is no Fed put. Uh, with inflation rates this high and with expected inflation rates, even if they've come off a bit in the last week, um, still much closer to the year-to-date highs than the year-to-date lows. So the Fed is not going to be turning around and trying to rescue the equity market. That would be completely inappropriate considering the current backdrop. The latest data point that is causing some panic is first quarter GDP. Atlanta Fed, other measures are saying it could be close to zero. Um, Why doesn't that have you more concerned? Yeah, I think we could probably take that number and throw it in the trash can, Kelly. Uh, It's an inventory issue that is going to likely hold that growth rate pretty close to zero. But if you look at underlying consumption, it's expected to be quite strong. Inflation is going to be running very strong. So, you know, underlying private sector nominal demand looks like it's still boomed in the first quarter. And if you look at any of the labor market indicators, jobless claims, continuing claims, even some of the data that came out of the conference board um, confidence survey yesterday for jobs plentiful and jobs hard to get. This is a white hot labor market in an economy that has a lot of forward momentum and high inflation. So it's 
very important that the Fed does not back away and wither uh, from its responsibility to try to restore price stability. We've gotten away from that. And so the Fed has a job to do and they've got their work cut out for them. They are in a bit of a predicament here, having fallen so far behind the curve, uh, but they have no choice now but to try to catch up. And that means liquidity should recede further. I mean, certainly everyone in the worlds of crypto and, you know, high tech growth stocks, they're all learning this reality hard. The corrections in some of these names of 80 to 90 percent. I mean, we are talking about a rivaling of the dot com boom in terms of an unravel here. And if anything, it's impressive that the broader markets have held up as well as they have, all things considered. So how much further do you think the correction has to go? And are you watching measures like M2 to tell you when we're when it's run its course here? Yeah, I think you mentioned, you know, the market multiples at about 18, you know, typically with the 10 year yield where it is, we'd be closer to 16. No one really knows where the market multiple is going to settle out. But, um, you know, probably we're going to have to, to be looking towards lower more uh, market multiples from here. But you're exactly right. The market as a whole is held up incredibly well, considering this big rise in the 10-year Treasury yield. Individual stocks and individual sectors have not. I think when we first talked coming into the year, we were talking about high growth, high valuation tech, SPACs, crypto, uh, meme stocks. And so these areas that were trading at super high valuations relative to earnings, liquidity, sales, in the case of some of those sectors, they're not really priced up of anything except for speculation. You get a situation where either liquidity shrinks or discount rates move up, moving up, and it's just game over, big face plant. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that the market's going to continue struggling with that going forward in these high growth, high valuation areas, unfortunately. And it's not to say you're bearish on the whole market. You've been talking about the reopening stocks and some uh, possible plays like that. One final question. We just heard from a stock picker a moment ago who is, and many people have said this, they think that rates have pretty much peaked, that we might have already seen the highs this year or that we're right about at the highs. Do you want to venture a take on that? I mean, do you think that the 10-year, for instance, could still be headed substantially higher? And in fact, is that implicit in everything that you're talking about, that it does go higher? Yeah, I'd be really hesitant to make that call. Uh, that call was actually made last year, right? It looked like the 10-year yield perhaps peaked for the cycle in the first quarter of the year and then trended down and look at where we ended up this year. And so with underlying inflation rates moving up, yes, headline inflation may, may have peaked here, maybe peaking soon, but if we look at wage growth, rental growth, core services inflation, those numbers have all been accelerating and you do still have the Fed behind the curve. I would be very wary about calling a top in the 10-year yield here. In the near term, very well could be the case, uh, but I'd be looking at sectors that don't really rely on the on the rate structure topping out here. And I think there are some opportunities uh, within the sectors for sure. Uh, but I don't want those opportunities contingent on the rates markets topping. That's, you know, I, I think that's a fool's errand in this environment, unfortunately. All right, quick final question. What about viewers who are concerned your dog hasn't moved since the last time we saw you? Un unfortunately, my voice puts him to sleep. So <laughs> that's what we have. Michael, thanks again for your time. Anytime. Michael Darda with MKM Partners.
Still ahead here, chip stocks are having their worst month in three years on both supply and demand concerns. The transports are suffering too. We're going to look at the best and worst of both groups. Plus, Meta, Pinterest, and Teladoc are three names on deck with their results. Well, we'll have more about Meta in a moment. Uh, All three stocks are down big this year. Meta, the Facebook parent, is actually leading the declines. That stock saw its largest one-day drop ever after its last results. Can we expect the same today? It's coming up in earnings exchange. And as we head to break, a quick check on the broader markets. The Dow is up 322 points despite Boeing's big slide, but Microsoft and Visa helping big time there. The S&P and NASDAQ both up roughly 1%. The Russell's lagging. They're only up a tenth of 1%. We're back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. China's renewed COVID lockdowns have already sent ripples through the global supply chain again. Our Frank Holland has a closer look at the names most impacted. Frank? Hey there, Kelly. Exports from the port of Shanghai, that's the world's largest container port. They're down almost 25% since COVID lockdowns in that country began in mid-March. Containers are how the majority of consumer goods come into the country. Think Nikes and iPads. Moving containers by rail, it's cheaper, but it's a longer way to move those goods here in the U.S. The declines you're seeing here, for the most part, means retailers and other companies, they're moving their freight to the truck market, which is faster, but a lot more expensive for them. And experts say it'll likely be a lot more expensive for all of us, too. On the shelf availability, you're not going to be impacted as a consumer. But what we are seeing is increased prices that companies and retailers are looking to pass on. And you know, that's due to shipping costs, fuel costs. The disruptions from the COVID lockdowns in Shanghai are expected to hit U.S. ports in coming months. How that'll all play out, kind of unclear right now. But companies like Mare, C.H. Robinson and Expeditors that help companies find solutions to move their freight trading higher today. Also, trucking companies like Knight Swift, J.B. Hunt and Landstar that offer a variety of solutions here in the U.S., including moving those containers, allowing multiple companies to put a load in the same truck, also known as LTL and freight brokerage, which is finding trucking on the spot market, as you can see, also getting a boost today. Back over to you, Kelly. Frank, thank you very much. Our Frank Holland. Let's pause here for a news alert on Meta, the Facebook parent company. Julia Borson, what's going on? 
Well, Kelly, we saw MediShares move lower on a headline from Bloomberg, a headline with guidance for second quarter revenue. But then Bloomberg rescinded this headline, said it was an error. And I just spoke to Meta. They said that it was an erroneous report by Bloomberg, a mistake on their part. What's interesting here, Kelly, is that Bloomberg actually put out guidance for what they said was second quarter guidance. It was actually exactly the same numbers that Facebook Meta had guided to for the first quarter. So this is entirely an error. Meta tells me they did not give Bloomberg anything um, ahead of their earnings, which are coming up after the bell today. So we see Meta platform shares are down about 3%, but that Bloomberg headline, which sent them lower, that was an error. Back over to you. You know, I wish I could recall there was just a company in the last quarter or so that did accidentally release its earnings early. Maybe that's why investors are extra extra twitchy. Or they're, Everyone's just on pins and needles waiting for these results, Julia. We appreciate the clarification. Thank you. That is true. If you learn anything more, let us know. Our Julia Borston monitoring that. And Meta, as she mentioned, is almost back to where it was before uh, that dip that we saw on those headlines. All right, back to the supply chain shocks. This TI chart, it's not just the transports. The chip stocks are also being hurt by China's lockdowns. Texas Instruments is down today, although it's well off the lows after the company's results it wasn't the current quarter that was the problem. It's their guidance. They cut their revenue projections by about 10% due to the China shutdowns, saying, quote, there are many customers that are just shut down. They're not taking deliveries. It's too early to say when those factories will come back online. So what's it mean for the rest of the sector? Let's ask Vijay Rakesh. He's senior semiconductor analyst at Mizuho. Vijay, welcome. I can't imagine this is just a Texas Instruments problem, or maybe it is. Uh, no, th thanks for having me on, Kelly. I think it's a, a problem for the entire supply chain and for the production base, uh, especially uh, when you look at uh, COVID shutdowns in Shanghai, which is one of the biggest manufacturing hubs in China, uh, along with the Shanghai port, which is uh, a, a huge shipment import-export point there, uh, and uh, COVID ex uh, shutdowns extending all the way into Beijing. So you're seeing uh, that impact many of the supply chain and uh, impact many other semi-suppliers as well. And not just China, I would also mention Europe continues to be on pause with order production and supply constraints as well. And we have seen order cancellations from Europe as well. So both of those are factoring into the guides for, uh, for the chip suppliers. So how, and it's interesting that you think the auto supply chain is less affected here. Um, give us some of the companies that are affected this time around in particular and others where maybe investors don't need to worry. Yeah, no, we do think autos uh, are affected more uh, because you have some of the biggest, uh, Volkswagen's biggest manufacturing facility is actually in Shanghai. Uh, and you have, uh, you know, BMW, Tesla, all these OEMs actually based in Shanghai that are seeing interruptions. Uh, but, um, you know, you're seeing that factor into some of the uh, PC names and the w, uh, and also some of the handset uh, OEMs as well. Uh, where you see, um, you know, less impact might be the semi-cap equipment side of the market, uh, names like AMAT and LAM, where there are supply constraints, uh, but really demand continues to be very robust. Um, so we do think, um, you know, the wafer fab equipment part of the equation is probably where um, investors need to focus focus more. All right, wait for Fab. Let me end it with some names I'm a little more familiar with, like Rivian, like Neo. A couple of struggling stocks, but to you here, you think, you know, in some ways the clouds may be parting at least on their supply chain troubles. Yeah, I think the expectation going to the second half is that supply chains start to mend especially, you know, COVID shutdowns, lockdowns in China should start to improve. Uh, the European supply chain should start to improve. Uh, and so that 
uh, obviously plays very well for the automotive OEMs because less constraint on components, you know, pricing starts to moderate, uh, inventories start to come back to normal. And so that, uh, you know, drives much better operations, uh, you know, much better outlook for the, especially the automotive OEMs. So uh, names, as you mentioned, Rivian, Neo, et cetera, which have been impacted by supply constraints, logistics constraints, you know, hubs getting shut down in uh, Shanghai, Beijing, et cetera, so. Well, at least they won't have it as an excuse anymore. Let's put it that way. Vijay, thanks, thanks. so much for your time. It's good to see you. Vijay Rakesh with Mizuho. Coming up, the healthcare divide. It's biotech versus big pharma. The stocks that have fallen out of favor and those holding up amid all the volatility. You're looking at one of the winners here. We'll reveal the name ahead. Plus, the lending stocks in the red as mortgage rates spike. We have the shocking latest figures on mortgage applications and what it means for the housing market next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org moneytools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to the exchange, everybody. Pretty strong rally here, but it's giving way somewhat. I don't I hesitate to say that, but the Dow was up 457 and we're up 253 right now. So we're looking at about a three quarters of 1% gain pretty much across the board here. Now let's check on the sectors where tech and materials are your leaders today. Communication services is the laggard down about 2%. And it's the only sector in the red as Alphabet and Meta weigh on that index. Of course, Meta reports tonight. Alphabet was last night. Here are some of the movers. Solar stocks coming back from yesterday's rout with shares of Enphase popping more than 8% after they promoted uh, reported record revenue. Pippa Stevens uh, spoke with the CEO who told her the company is tripling down on Europe as Russia suspends gas shipments. So uh, something for all of us to keep in mind here. On the flip side, shares of Spotify hitting an all-time low after giving weak subscriber outlook and saying they will no longer issue annual guidance. The shares are down almost 11% right now. They're around 98 and they're 30 4% below their direct listing price from 2018. So a really rough story here. Let's get to Tyler Matheson now for a CNBC News update. Ty? All right, you got it, Kelly. Thanks very much. Here's what's happening at this hour. The Minneapolis Police Department has engaged in a pattern of racial discrimination. That's one of the findings of a two-year investigation by Minnesota's Department of Human Rights that was started just after George Floyd was killed by a city police officer. On the news with Shep Smith tonight, the changes recommended by the report and the reforms Minneapolis officials will need to consider. That's tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern with Shep Smith. 
In the Ukrainian city of Kherson, Russian forces used tear gas to break up a demonstration against the Russian occupation. Top Ukrainian officials say Russian forces also used stun grenades on the protesters. And back home in New York, former President Trump has appealed the contempt ruling by a New York judge over his failure to turn over documents that had been subpoenaed. The judge ordered Trump be fined $10,000 a day until the documents are turned over. It is unclear yet if the appeal will suspend those fines. Kelly, back to you. Tyler, thank you, and I will see you soon. Still ahead, could we see another meta meltdown or Pinterest pop post results? Also, Teladoc stock has been getting absolutely hammered. Are big tech partnerships the key to post-pandemic growth? Everything you need to know in Earnings Exchange next. Welcome back, everybody. Time for another edition of Earnings Exchange with with some more key earnings on tap this afternoon, especially Meta or Facebook. So let's get a look at the story, the action and the trade on three names that we're watching closely after the bell. It's time for today's earnings exchange. So Meta Platforms is number one. The shares turning lower on those confusing, maybe guidance headlines earlier this hour. Looks like it was all just a mistake, Uh, but it's been absolutely clobbered this year. The shares are down nearly 50 percent. It's also declined after three out of its last four earnings reports. Julia Borston is back with what we are watching after the bell today. Danielle Shea, director of options at Simpler Trading, is here with our trades. Welcome to you both. All right, Julia, what are we anticipating? Well, look, there are so many different factors that Meta is grappling with right now. And just to break down what some of the key issues are. The first is Apple's operating system change. This is something that Meta has said it's working on. Um, It's working on improving targeting despite those uh, those challenges. And so the question here is how much progress are they making um, when it comes to those iOS changes? They also have shifted users um, towards Reels. This is the short form video format that competes with TikTok. It might be good for an engagement um, from an engagement perspective, but it is has not been particularly good from a revenue perspective. They don't make as much money when people spend time in that format. So there's this risk that their success shifting people to that format actually could end up damaging their top line. And then, of course, there are all these macroeconomic issues that were flagged by Snap as well as YouTube and uh, advertisers pulling back. So that's going to be something we're watching as well. Yeah, and these Apple platform, you know, privacy changes that seem like they really have had a big impact. Danielle, what do you think? What do you do with the stock here? Kelly, I think this one's a short. I don't like Facebook at all. I think that the big run-up that we saw last year with all the metaverse hype, I mean, I don't know if that's ever going to come through, but I think they're pouring money into that, and they have so many other issues. I mean, I don't know anyone younger than me that's on Facebook, and that's a problem because when the kids don't like the platform, I mean, it's just going to continue dying out. Last quarter, they saw subscribers drop um, pretty substantially, and that's why we saw that big drop in the stock. I think Facebook's a short here, and I think it can trade to at least 150, if not lower. And you say you don't like shorting names that are already at the lows, but you see risks of a Netflix kind of move here. Well, and, you know, that's the tricky part with with something like Facebook, because, you know, when you're a trader coming in and shorting the lows, I mean, it's not going to be the highest probability place to short. I mean, you really want to come in and try to short these stocks on days where they rally if there is some positive news. 
But at the same time, we're in a really weird situation in the market right now where so many tickers are on the dead lows that if they break, they can fall really hard. So if you're going to trade it on earnings, just make sure that you control your risk because while a Netflix move, you know, you could kill it on at the same time. I mean, it is a risky overnight trade. All right. And the shares are around 175 right now for some context. Uh, Danielle, stay right there. Julia, you stay there as well, because talk about pins and needles. Pins itself is also reporting after the bell. And the stock is at a horrible April. It's down 24 percent. Ironically, that's only its worst month since last July. Uh, the trend has been poor lately out, out of reports. It's been down two of the past four times. Prior to that, of course, it was a huge pandemic beneficiary. So that's right, Kelly. I mean, the interesting thing about Pinterest is it is suffering from all the same macroeconomic challenges that Meta is, but it is suffering additionally from the fact that it was such a beneficiary of the pandemic. People were using it to pin their sourdough recipes and their home office remodels, and they actually saw a decline in users in the past two quarters. So they saw a big surge in usage, and then they were not able to hold on to those, those users. So I think the additional challenge for Pinterest is this question of, are they going to be able to maintain engagement where not only are people getting out and about in the world again, but there's so much competition for people's time, whether it's TikTok or all the options on streaming. And so I think they have a real user and engagement challenge on top of all the other advertising issues that Meta is reckoning with as well. How would you trade this one, Danielle? So, you know, when I look at this ticker, I mean, I definitely agree with everything that Julia said, but at the same time, I mean, they did increase revenue last quarter. They had noted that they increased it 20% year over year, despite the drop in members. And when you look at earnings, I mean, they've actually been beating earnings pretty consistently. So when I have something that I have a downtrend, right? I mean, it's clearly in a downtrend, clearly been falling, it's still falling. Uh, but yet they do well on earnings. I really don't like to come in and short the name prior to earnings because they could easily surprise and it could trade higher. That being said, you know, for me on this one, I'm actually going to stay out of it. I think it's really volatile on earnings. Yeah. I think if they do. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's that's the best answer. And, you know, you can continue trading it lower with the trend on the short term. But for me personally, I hope Pinterest comes back long term. I'm, I'm a big fan and I've been looking for an investment spot. I just don't think it's quite there yet because it's it's still falling. I you know, I recall when we talked about Tesla with its results that you were in a, more of a neutral stance. The shares obviously since then a lot has happened. Uh, oh, by the way, it's, you know, its founder took over another company. It has been struggling a lot. Does anything jump out to you from a trading point of view about Tesla right now? Oh, I have so much to say, say about Tesla. And, you know, we, when we talked about Tesla, we did talk about the fact that, you know, selling a neutral strategy on earnings is really the best thing to do in that type of situation because you'll see it pop and then you'll see it fall. And when you can sell options with high implied volatility, you can buy them back the next day. And that's actually what I did on Tesla. And I do think that's really one of the only things you could do on Pinterest. But I think that with Tesla right here, the worst part about the way that it's trading is that they absolutely crushed it on earnings mm. and it traded higher and it's it's been dropping ever since. I think it's a bad omen for the stock market in general. And I think if they can crush it like that and Microsoft can crush it like that and the Nasdaq is not impressed, 
it's not a good situation for this quarter earnings in general. You know, I remember you saying that about stocks in the past. Beware the ones that pop and then drop. And I, like you said, no one wants to see Tesla in the whole market uh, in that description. All right. Let's quickly finally close things out with Teladoc here. Bertha Coombs has the story. This stock is 70 percent off its 52 week high. Bertha, what are you watching? Well, one of the things that we're watching is top line growth. Revenue growth is one of the areas where they often shine. They never really shine on the bottom line. Still not profitable, and they've only beaten in terms of the bottom line about half the time. The other thing I'm going to watch is what they're doing in terms of generating revenue from their membership. Chronic condition care is one of the things that they're really pushing and trying to get people on more than one because a lot of people have more than one chronic condition. That adds extra dollars in terms of their membership fees. The other thing is the growth in terms of their mental health. They've been pushing that a lot. That's one of the really strong areas where they're growing in terms of direct to consumer. But on the other side, and what could weigh on the bottom line is rising costs for providers. We've heard this from the likes of Humana this morning. We've heard this from hospitals. That is one of the areas that's really very difficult in terms of retention. And last quarter, they actually paid uh, bonuses to try to retain providers. So that's one of the things that's going to continue to weigh on the bottom line in this tight labor market. It's a great point about how the economics of the business model can change as they lose some of those advantages. Bertha, thank you. All right, Danielle, I'll give you Teladoc and also PayPal, which you correctly warned us about a couple weeks ago. It actually fall, fell below the 85 target. I think it's at 83 last time. Which would you rather, I guess, short here? Or what would you do with these two names, which are under similar pressures? So, you know, I think both of them are a short here, especially Teladoc, because it's losing money. I mean, this isn't 2020 anymore, okay? And companies like this that rallied so hard, I mean, they're they're still losing money. And there's way too many people that bought them so far up at the highs that are still bailing. So I think Teladoc's a short here. I think it can go to 42. PayPal, I think it's a short too, but my problem with it is it's already met the majority of my downside targets. So just like Facebook, it's one of those situations where it's, well, you know, you can short it, but at the same time, I mean, you are on the dead lows, so you better do it in a way that you're controlling your risk. But I think PayPal is going to continue lower. This whole conversation has told us so much about this market. You know, well, I'd like to short things, but they've already hit, you know, the shorts we were targeting. And Danielle, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it. Danielle Shea with Simpler Trading and Bertha Coombs, thank you as well. Watching TDOC for us today. And the healthcare sector overall taking two different paths of late, pharma outperforming while biotech taking a hit. We're going to dig into this divergence and look at how long it could continue. Plus, net gas prices have been soaring as Gazprom says it's cutting off gas supplies to some European countries. What does it mean for prices here at home? And could these stocks actually be good places to hide? That's next on The Exchange. Welcome back, everybody. We've seen a lot of dichotomies in the market lately. There's one in healthcare in particular, with pharma stocks holding up pretty well lately, while the biotech names still can't take a bid. Meg Terrell joins us now with a look at what's behind the divergence. Meg? 
Hey, Kelly. Well, it is those sort of safer, more defensive big pharma names that have been performing a lot better over the last year compared with the riskier biotech space, which has just been having a really tough time of it. You can really see this if you look at the divergence between the XLV healthcare ETF, uh, which has mostly big pharma, but some big healthcare names in it, like United Health as well, which is up more than 8% in the last year. Compare that with the 45% drop over the last year for the XBI. That's the biotech ETF that's more heavily weighted toward mid-cap and smaller cap biotech stocks. Big Pharma has been a place that investors have liked to be in uh, at least year to date. You can see Bristol-Myers up more than 20%, AbbVie 18%, and Merck more than 10%. All of those names reporting earnings later this week. Biotech has been a completely different story, although earlier this week and at the end of last week, it looked like it was trying to make kind of a comeback, and we got some positive clinical data on Monday that has not been enough to keep up the outperformance in biotech down more than the broader market over the past week as well. COVID names have been some of the ones that have really seen the biggest sell-offs year-to-date. You're seeing Moderna and BioNTech, the vaccine makers, down about 45% each. Pfizer is off. It's not participating in the uh, trade in big pharma. Novavax down 70% as we're still waiting on word on its application for its COVID vaccine here in the United States. Kelly, the things that investors and analysts say would bring biotech back would be more positive clinical trial data and M&A. And in the clinical trial data space, one name to watch is Alnylam Pharmaceuticals. That is a company expected to have some really key data coming up over the next few weeks or months potentially on a key program that could move the stock pretty significantly in either direction, though. So you got to be careful when it comes to biotech. Fair Kelly. enough. I, th- I think more than anything, they would just like some QE back. That seemed to be the best thing for the sector from the Fed. <laughs> Meg, thank you so much. Our Meg Terrell. Coming up, net gas prices spiking as Russia threatens European supplies. What it means for American producers who are rallying. Should you chase it? We've got that next. Welcome back to The Exchange. Crude oil slightly positive on the session, holding just under $102 a barrel. But it's natural gas that is the story again. The price has nearly doubled so far this year, and it's a lot worse in Europe, where their natural gas contracts are spiking after Russia told Poland and Bulgaria it'll stop shipments unless they pay in rubles. It's pushing all of the nat gas stocks higher. Let's bring in Paul Sankey now for more. He is the lead analyst at Sankey Research. And Paul, every time we've talked about oil lately, we say, you know, we got to get to nat gas. We got well, we're getting to it today. Um, what would you do with the stocks like EQT here? Uh, we think they're in good shape. Um, as you as you've mentioned, the situation in Europe is so chronic that uh, it's going to be an ongoing pressure on U.S. natural gas prices. Bears will say, "Well, listen, we've sold out of LNG, so at the margin, um, it's you know you can't add a whole lot more gas demand for export until we get the next leg of export projects." And Bears will also worry about supply growth. I think the LNG story will keep coming, and I'm fairly confident that with a couple of projects starting up, we're continuing to start up right now, there's still some strength there. And on the production side, uh, I think the capital discipline of the big oil producers will actually also hold down uh, gas production. And so we, we think the rest of the year looks great for natural gas. Yeah, it's one of these things, though, where when you say it looks great, that that's like, OK, for the payers, this is going to be a problem, you know. And as we've seen with oil, nat gas will get political, especially if we get into heating season. We're talking about schools and businesses and people feel them. We could even see people feeling the impact for their electricity bills this summer as they start using air conditioning. If it stays here, is that your expectation that we stay around these levels? You know, Kelly, you make a great point. I had a major client say that he doesn't believe that it will be politically tenable 
for us to continue exporting natural gas if prices truly go crazy, which is to say, let's say they doubled again from here. Uh, you think I'm crazy? We did see $14 uh, per MMBTU natural gas in the 2000s. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't think it'll happen, but, you know, this is a major client who I take very seriously. And, and he's worried that there's a potential outcome like that, that we can't export uh, as long as we're really suffering in the US. For now, the $7 is okay. The other bull as- aspect to natural gas, by the way, is that coal prices are so crazy. So, of course, the typical substitution that you would do at these levels into coal doesn't work the way it normally does. And coal, by the way, is kind of sold out too. Inventories are very low. Wow. So we're in a situation where we've already heard calls for banning gas exports, LNG exports from some politicians. What would the stocks do if just that rhetoric starts to ramp up? You know, on the one hand, I could see it being a headwind. On the other hand, it just speaks to the fact that there are shortages and it sounds like these companies can basically set their price right now. Well, you're going to have me scurrying back to the tape here because actually the threat has already been raised by industry associations earlier. I think it was earlier this year. So it'd be interesting to go back and see how the market reacted at that time. But essentially, big consumers of natural gas on the industry side started asking for export limitations. Now, that's kind of hypocritical because their margins are enormous because they're actually selling their products into the same, um, well, into markets that are also obviously hugely affected by the huge gas prices in Europe. So really, they shouldn't be shouting in the way they are. And I think you're right. It's more about individuals, uh, you know, home home, uh, home heating and, and schools, as you mentioned, where it could become an issue. It'll all be an issue, hopefully, only for this winter. So in the meantime, I think these things are in very good shape. Is there anything you do to differentiate between the stocks, for instance, maybe less favorable on the LNG names versus some of the, you know, pipeline, you know, like an EQT, or maybe more so if you don't really think that, you know, those political headwinds are going to be there. Is there any differentiation you'd make amongst the the names here? Yeah, absolutely. Because as you mentioned, infrastructure is such a big issue in the U.S. and you've got this crazy uh, anti-natural gas pipeline um, uh, pressure that, that stops pipes being built out of the Marcellus. And that's actually an issue for EQT. It's why people love Antero, for example, which has good uh, takeaway from the Marcellus. And I have another major client who believes that energy transfer is a great play because they've got Texas infrastructure. And Texas is obviously going to be a place where typically pipelines get built, uh, gas gets moved. So there's there's some significant differentiation amongst the names, absolutely. And the other thing is that the big EMP companies present themselves as oil companies. But a lot of them are actually stealth natural gas companies. Hmm. So if you think about an EOG or a Devon, any of these names actually have a significant proportion of their production is natural gas. And that's going to add uh, to very strong earnings as we go into earnings season over the next couple of weeks. All right. Several themes to keep in mind. Paul, thank you as always. We appreciate Thanks, it. Kevin. Paul Sankey with Sankey Research. Still ahead, it's a mortgage demand divergence. Fixed demand sinking while adjustable rate loan demand just hit its highest level in 13. Adjustable rate loan demand, that's interesting. We're going to dig into what it means for the lenders. And take a look at the Dow right now, seeing a nice move higher, up 420 points. We're back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Mortgage demand obviously getting hit by higher rates. That is hurting the lenders. But there is one surprising growth spot. Diana Olick here with the numbers. Diana. 
Well, Kelly, the drop in mortgage demand is not exactly unexpected given the sharp rise in mortgage rates, but the numbers are still pretty stunning. Total mortgage application volume last week was about half of what it was a year ago, half. While home buyers are pulling back, the biggest drop is in refinance demand. It was down over 70% from a year ago, and a year ago refinanced lending was the majority of the mortgage company business. Now it's down to barely a third. So for lenders, that's really just a crushing blow to business. So take a look at some of those names. Rocket. Its stock is down about 38% year-to-date. The company also just announced it's offering buyouts to 8% of its workforce. Loan Depot stock down about 36%. The company's CEO also told me there would be layoffs there as well as it adjusts to the new workload. And another, Finance of America, down a whopping 58% year-to-date. And finally, Guild Mortgage, down about 38%. Last month, Guild was downgraded by both Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan Chase, All of this, of course, because mortgage rates have risen so sharply, the average on the 30-year fixed up about two full percentage points year-to-date, and the expectation is that it will continue to head higher as the Fed gets more aggressive in trying to stem inflation. Kelly. Diana Olek, is it true that demand for adjustable rate mortgages went to a 13-year high? And if so, my respect to... It's one thing to bet on stocks you think could benefit from lower interest rates. It's another thing to stake everything on it. Well, you know, it's not as risky as you think. Arms can be, you know, set a fixed rate for five, seven, even 10 years. But yes, hmm. we did see arm demand literally double in the past three months. That's huge. People are looking for a lower rate. So a rate on an arm is about 4.28%, whereas you're looking at well over 5% for the 30-year fix. So again, those loans are not as risky as they used to be. And they're a good option for if you're going to stay in your home five to 10 years. That is Kelly. totally fascinating. Diana, thank you very much. Diana Olek, that does it for us every Buddy Power Lunch right now. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.